Hello, and welcome. You are listening to Moodily Matters, the podcast that recognizes that your mood matters. Every episode, we talk to a range of amazing guests with experience in some of the top organizations in the world, discussing work life at the crossroads of mood, well being, and performance. Together, we aim to create better workplaces, one mood at a time. Let's get started with your host, Moodily founder, Erica First. Hello and welcome. I am Erica First, your host of Moodily Matters. My guest today is the incredible Mona E. Shaker, psychotherapist and DEI organizational consultant. In this episode, Mona and I talk about belonging as a crucial skill for both employees and leaders. This conversation was so rich, layered, and important that this was the perfect discussion to kick off our season with. I hope you find it as engaging as I did. And now on to the show. So hello, Mona. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Hi, Erica. Thank you. It's great to be here. Awesome. So why don't you share with us a little bit about who you are and what brought you here today? Yeah, sure. So my name is Mona Ishaker. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I'm a licensed therapist. I have a small private practice, um, but I'm also the strategic advisor and one of the speakers for the RISE journey. Awesome. And um, so you said uh, you're a therapist, but you've also done, um, you're a consultant. Can you tell us a little bit about your career journey and how things have evolved over time? Yeah, definitely. It meandered, which I think that's that's life. And it pivoted during the pandemic, which I know a lot of people had a bit of a career shift during that time. So my background is in, in mental health. So I work mainly in community mental health um, um, programs. Um, eventually became a supervisor. Um, and then in 2017, I, uh, the, the mental health tech world was just starting. And so I, I kind of jumped in cause it was exciting. The pay was really great, uh, much better than a, a community a mental health provider, um, benefits. So I thought that was exciting. It was, it was a remote position. And when I was there, I, um, I was there during the pandemic and I got, I got really burnt out. So I ended up um, leaving uh, that company and um, I was good friends with the HR woman there, um, Jess Osro, who is uh, one of the founders of the rise journey. So she brought me in. Um, so it, it is related. And especially during my career, I was because of my background, right? I'm a woman, I'm a person of color and I'm queer. I was a lot of times tapped into doing like um, education trainings. Um, again, sometimes volunteered, sometimes voluntold. And so I was sort of carrying that weight a lot, which I think was ultimately it's all very positive because I have that experience now. But during the pandemic, I was tapped in a lot because there's now this was this growing attention to uh, disparities. And so I was doing a lot of that training. Um, and it, I think that just was like the the straw that like just burnt me fully out. And so now I do more of the consulting and now I have a private practice, which feels uh, very, very aligned. Awesome. Um, and can you tell us, I mean, you kind of like tapped on a little bit, but, um, tell us a little bit about your personal and your professional mission. Yeah. I love that question. So in general, due to my own personal experiences, I got to see kind of firsthand and I'm sure you did too, of like what, what works and what doesn't work in a workplace, um, and how crucial even just like a, you know, company culture is to the employee experience. And so, um, 
you know, my personal professional mission is to improve the workplace culture, especially we spend so much of our times and our lives um, with our in our career. So why not make that um, as as healthy as possible? Because um, it does in, it also increase our quality of life as well. You know, I don't think those are two separate things. And I think sometimes we we like to isolate those. You know, our, our personal lives, and then now we're an employee, and it, those are fully connected. And so, um, kind of improving it uh, one person at a time. Okay. Um, and what does well being mean to you? Yeah, I think. It's, I like how you ended it with to you because it is truly different person to person. Um, for me, it's been slowing down and getting really real about who I am and what do I want to do with my time. Um, I think a lot of people have this experience, either you know, I'm a child of immigrants and uh, a woman. And so a lot of times all of my decisions have been externally uh, focused. So I'm making decisions based on maybe what would appear great and good for people outside of myself. Um, and it works, which is so unfortunate. And I mean, I think that I think that's why I kind of moved along in my career, but ultimately it led to my own demise. It led to my own burnout. And so once that happened, I got I got quiet and I got clear with myself and I realized, you know, this is not the work I want to do. It didn't align with my ethics, didn't align with my integrity. And so for me, wellness has been at every point in every decision as much as possible. And this is, and I'm not perfect at this by any means, but it is slowing down and really getting quiet and asking myself, is this something I want for myself? Um, and now I'm making decisions based on that. And that's been uh, like a huge, a huge, huge game changer. Okay. And that's really interesting because we're going to start talking about your skill in a second, but I think there's an interesting segue there because you were doing certain things to be part of a group or be accepted by what was considered sort of the status quo, Mm -hmm. but it was making you not feel like yourself. So you were belonging to a group, but not necessarily belonging to yourself. And, Mm. um, (laughs) and so I think that's just an interesting first step is that, uh, perhaps in order to feel this, and of course we'll be talking about belonging in a second. Um, it's possible that the first step is really getting clear and right with yourself and understanding what it is that you actually need in order to be able to articulate that. Yes. I love that. That was so, you kind of blew my mind a little bit because that was <laughs> that it's true though, right? Like if I, if we're constantly making decisions based on sort of external factors, I, I lost touch with myself and I, I do see this with other people as well, I mean, it's like people pleasing behavior at the end of the day, ultimately. And so, yeah, I'm a good employee. I'm saying yes. I'm doing it with a smile. I'm being overly pleasant, um, and I'm like fully like not belonging to myself. I'm. It, it does. It did totally feel like I was um, kind of giving myself up, and it's a performance piece too. So then I'm also feeling inauthentic, and I think that's where a lot of that like ethical dilemma comes in. Of like, wait, who am I? What am I? What's the? What am I doing? Um, and and that could really, yeah, I mean, that impacts our mental health. And I think I was really feeling lost um, kind of at that at that pa- pandemic peak, the mental health crisis, I think everybody that was, everybody was going through. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love that. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for framing that. No, that's nice. Um, and actually, <laughs> well, because I know it so well, because it's one of the, it's like one of the cornerstones of burnout is that you just, you don't know who you are anymore in you know, in yourself or also in relation to, to the group that you're in. So um, it's one of the things that creates the tension that causes emotional labor, which causes you to eventually not have enough energy to even 
get up out of bed and face it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So since I've like spoiled <laughs> what we're going to talk about today, tell us a little bit about the skill that you're going to be discussing with us. Yeah, sure. So I I bring the the mental health and psychology lens to human resources. Um, and a lot of my work does focus on belonging. Um, and I do a lot of research on this subject and belonging keeps coming up as this cornerstone. Um, what I've heard this term before that we're in the golden golden era of HR data, which sounds so boring, but it's because we have so much data now. Now we have all this like um, um, from um, um, attrition retention data um, that that's been pop um, um, populated across companies. So now we get to see, oh, it's not just about having a diverse workforce, right? Now we could have like the data that shows, yeah, having a diverse workforce is literally correlated to um, innovation, right? Because now you have diversity of thought, but it doesn't end there. Um, in order to tap into d- diversity, your your diverse talent um, um, is belonging. What's the point if somebody, if some, you could have the most diverse workforce, but if somebody does not feel like they belong there, they're not going to bring their full f- uh, selves forward, especially talking about what we were just talking about, which is like being your authentic self. A lot of times we feel like we have to sort of overperform in this way to, in order to be accepted, um, but that does not do anybody any favors because then we're more likely to play small, kind of go along with the crowd. If there is something that like an issue or concern that comes up that you don't agree with, you're less likely to, to share a concern because you want to be part of a group. Um, and a lot of this, it's so interesting because a lot of this, and this is where the psychology background comes in, because a sense of belonging is a basic fundamental human drive that formed for for social bonding, right? And so um, it is for natural. survival. It's survival, right? Yeah. I want to be, if I want, you know, going back to, evol- if I want to survive, it's, you're more likely to survive in a group. And so right. we have these learned behaviors. So it's not a bad thing. And I, I know a lot of people like self-blame. Oh, why do I do it's, it? There's try not to do that because then you- it, it's literally in our brains that we've inherited from thousands and thousands of years of evolution. Yes, exactly. And so that's why it, in order to do this work, it really requires kind of pausing and then noticing your your behaviors, um, because what diversity thought of thought is is literally having a, a, the most uh, varied uh, backgrounds of people sharing their input. That way, all of our blind spots and all of our, our um, possible concerns get covered. And so, it, you're not doing anybody any favors if you're going along with the crowd, even though there's something ingrained with that. And I think certain people kind of fall into that more than others. And what do you mean by, like, if we had to put a definition, a working definition for this conversation, what do we mean by belonging? Oh, like, how do we define belonging? Yeah. Um, it's it's truly like a sense of acceptance. So you're not you're not tolerated, um, not even accepted, but you're actually like celebrated. Your difference is celebrated. Um, and, and I like to zoom out when I I think about belonging because I like to think about sort of the history of diversity, equity, inclusion in the workplace. And this is very US centric. So I apologize. I know sometimes I just like pull data from the US, but I think it is interesting because we have, you know, the 19, the mid 1960s, um, I think it was 1964, we have the Desegregation Act. Before 1964, workplaces were segregated. You could not even enter. Um, an establishment if you are a person of color, specifically if you're a black person, let alone be able to work there. So that all changed. Um, so you could imagine maybe in the late 60s, yeah, now you know black people, people of color are, are allowed to enter workplaces, but um, are they are they getting hired there? Right. In the 70s, now we have federal laws. Um, um, so now, okay, sure, 
doors are open. You could apply there, but were they getting the jobs? 80s. Okay. Now people of color and now women too, right? Okay. You're getting the jobs, but how are you treated? Were you, were, was your difference treated as an asset or was it treated as um, you know uh, something that uh, um, is, is bringing the team down? Um, and then in the nineties, kind of thinking that per, per, and this is our, like I'm 35. My dad grew up during segregation in the U S. So he, he grew up in a culture where um, it was accepted to discriminate people. And so, um, you know, he's a boomer, so he's almost at retirement. But these are people who have like set the stage, who created the companies that we work in today. So a lot of that culture kind of gets in, ingrained. Right. So now we're now we're saying, okay, it's not just about diversity, because what's the point of having diversity um, if you don't, if there's no place to, to um, if you don't feel like you belong there, right? If people, if people are looking at you like, ah, oh, your differences, you don't know what you're talking about, right? People are questioning your judgment. And now we're getting to see, no, it is belonging is a vehicle of inclusion. You can't have one without the other. Um, you, we need an environment where people feel welcome and um, um, comfortable enough to share. And I think a lot of us have this experience. Um, I know I've had this experience of coming into a workplace. Oh, do I belong there? A lot of times I'm like the only one in a, in a work work environment. So I'm already like, oh, do they like like me? Am I going to be like, you know, uh, I'm just going to be a little cautious. I'm going to like kind of play small a little bit. Um, and that's sort of where, where it comes because belonging has to be, um, it has to be actively, um, um, cultivated. It, it can't be passive because the absence of, be of, of belonging could feel kind of exclusive because we're more likely to stay kind of in our like groups, which is also very much a psychological evolutionary, um, um, function. Yes. We obviously, it is also ingrained in our brains to gravitate towards people who reflect us aesthetically, visually, mm -hmm. but also yeah. from a lifestyle and and obviously because they're shared experience. So, you know, if I have like a code word for something that I'm passionate about, people who know me will get that immediately, whereas someone else I will have to explain. And so there's more work involved in connecting with people who don't have sort of the, sh the shared experience there. Um, so thinking about belonging as a skill, because there's actually sort of multiple ways we can come into it because there is, and I do have sort of a provocative question I want to ask you in a second. Um, there's multiple ways in, because obviously there's the creation, the ability to create a workplace that is accepting. Um, there's also the question of, and so therefore, what do managers need to know and to do and how do they create a space um, where people can feel shared and whatnot? Um, but also for us as individuals, what do we need to do to make sure that we are showing up, you know, or um, uh, or that we're creating a space that's open for others? And I'll, I'm going to write down my provocative question for a, a little bit. I'll let you yeah, answer that first. <laughs> yeah, don't forget that. I'm so curious. Um, it, I like I like the way you frame that because company culture is is a two way street, right? It it absolutely takes sort of your environment, your 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 um, supervisor, your, the director, right, the CEO, your your coworkers. But there is something internal, right? So we can't like just sort of negate that that doesn't exist because we are bringing. We're bringing our—I hate to call it a baggage—but we are bringing our baggage to every workplace that we we enter. And so, if we had an experience of being um, 
unappreciated or belittled, or, you know, if we weren't able to move up or if we had a bad relationship with the boss or if we had a, a, like a toxic boss, I mean, that happens. Um, you know, this is why the, like the trauma informed lens comes in because we're bringing that to our workplace. So a lot of times we feel, uh, we're not sure who we can trust. Um, and so a lot of times we do kind of hold back a little bit, um, or we could misread a situation. I mean, also just thinking about stress and, and burnout, um, which, also impacts uh, um, a minority folks and just uh, underrepresented folks at higher rates. When you're feeling a higher level of stress, you're more likely to misperceive people's behaviors as threatening. Um, our threat perception gets impacted. That's our, our amygdala um, um, gets activated in that state. So again, it's removing the blame, there's removing the judgment, but we it's a, helpful to be aware of this, right? So when we're feeling stressed, we're more likely to sort of project that. So again, it's helpful just to separate fear from fact um, and show up, right? Sometimes it just takes a, a commitment to yourself. Um, um, uh, continue speaking after an interruption, right? There's little things that you can do um, um, throughout the day. Give feedback. I know that one's really tough for a lot of people, um, but a lot of the times your uh, supervisor truly just don't doesn't know what they don't know. And so sometimes providing the feedback that, you know, hey, in our team meetings, we're only hearing from two people, you know, maybe we could formulate it in a way that everybody gets a chance to speak, right? Something as simple as that could really make a um, huge difference for you um, and, and for your, your colleagues as well. Okay. Um, so I think that's interesting. So first of all, to be very, and this is obviously something that is speaks straight to my heart is to be very conscious of your own emotional state and the mood yes. you're in and what is are you reading the situation objectively or are you looking at it through um the lens of as you said past trauma past experiences or even coming in in certain cases you know like with, with a prejudgment of how things are going to unfold. So I would say um, maybe like, uh, cause I'm writing a little list. <laughs> maybe the first thing is to be, to try and stay in as objective and emotional space as possible without assuming, without judging in, or, and without sort of prejudice on or pre prediction on what's going to happen on all sides of the tape. I mean, that's just, good practice for everybody mm -hmm. all, all day, every day. So, <laughs> um, and then the second, I really like that idea of don't assume that people know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, cause that's really like when we talk about belonging in very multicultural, diverse environments, um, we can assume you know, like, why did, why did they do that? And it's like, well, they come from a completely different culture, completely different experience with totally different rules. Um, and so there has to be an exchange of, well, I saw it from this perspective. Explain to me from your perspective, how you saw it. Um, so in order for there to be that common ground, there has to be an exchange of information so everybody can get aligned. But first you have to be willing to actually take the step to have that conversation in an appropriate and polite manner. We don't have to be yes. rude. <laughs> it doesn't have to be rude. And I think if it, we frame it as difficult conversations, especially feedback and just sharing your perspective, but it's not difficult. I mean, it's difficult because we don't have the skills. Um, nobody teaches us. That's exactly not. the point. <laughs> That's the point, right? And, it, and everybody's coming from, and I like the way you said that people are coming from their own fishbowl, right? Their own set of understanding. So if I'm, okay, so this, this is a real life example. Uh, some 
somebody in a workplace who just speaks over other people. That used to be my pet peeve. And I, it would kind of trigger me because then I'm like, you know, so used to being kind of silenced in a lot of ways. So I'm like, here's this person again, and I'm going to make assumptions based on their maybe race and gender, of why they're doing this. Um, and then I'm going to do this uh, confirmation bias where I'm going to think of things in the past that confirm this belief of this person being rude or, you know, uh, insensitive or not conscious of other people. But the minute I talked to that person, I learned so much uh, and I was fully wrong because when I shared, hey, when you talk over, like I, I get shut down and, you know, it doesn't give me a chance to like finish an idea. And, and it takes a lot for me to just like speak uh, unprompted. So it throws me off a little bit. And they're like, I'm, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that. They're like, the way I grew up, I grew up in a family with lots of loud uh, right. people and you have to fight to share your idea and it's interrupting people. But there's this assumption that they were making that if I interrupt you, you could just uh, uh, chime back in and you won't be bothered. About, right. So these are two different cultures coming together. Nobody was right. And nobody was wrong. Everybody was acting appropriate based on their context. Right. We kind of, it's where we fall uh, into a trap is when we project what we think that that means. Um, and then all of a sudden this person becomes this one dimensional bad person when that's fully not, not accurate. Cause if I think of this person as a kind and conscientious person, I could just as easily go back into my memory bank and find all the times that they were kind and conscientious. Right. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so interesting, you know, especially with the workplaces that we have now, it's, it's a lazy response to be like, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> easy and lazy. Yeah. Now it might be the right answer, but you only know that after you do the due diligence and come, because I think it's a rare occasion if someone were to come up to you and be like, can I speak? To, I, you know, please don't take this the wrong way, but it really upsets me when you talk over me as opposed to be like, why do you talk over me all the time? You know, like there's, there's a proper way. And I find that all difficult conversations start with saying, I, uh, I feel not you done, but mm -hmm. he here's how I experience this. Um, and then see what happens from there. You know, obviously if they laugh in your face and you're like, that's stupid, you're like, okay, <laughs> maybe we've come to one conclusion. <laughs> mm -hmm. But if you don't have the conversation, obviously you never discover that. So, yes. so it, the idea of belonging from both sides takes work and yes. and input from from everyone, from the one person to understand, but also on the other to take the initiative. Yes, yes. Um, so, what else do you think uh, is involved in creating a sense of belonging, either from a manager's point of view or from the employee's point of view? Yeah, I have a few thoughts on that. I think it starts from um, orientation when they first get hired. So making an effort when somebody is new um, to welcome them like that alone. Uh, it's so low lift, uh, but it's really impactful. So it could, if it's a remote environment, sending a Slack individually and welcoming them. Um, um, if it's in person, this is it's kind of tricky because we do that thing where, again, it's human nature. Where we tend to gravitate towards our like group because we get that sense of camaraderie, uh, safety, comfort. Um, and we sometimes go into tight circles. So um, as much as possible, opening up the circle. And if somebody's, by, you know, having an open way so people could kind of join into us into a circle. Um, so those are some, some, some basic things as a manager, there's almost this assumption if, um, um, if somebody's quiet, they have nothing to share. I, I would really interrogate that thought. Um, 
because everybody has something important to share. And if somebody is silent, that actually is more of a signal that the environment is so where they don't feel comfortable sharing. Um, it could be due to something that you're doing. It could not be. It could also be sort of cultural. It could also be somebody's baggage from past work environments. Um, so, and this is what the research shows as much as possible, hearing from everyone almost as equally as possible. To me, that feels very simple to do, but as, as somebody who used to be a manager and manage a team, it is really hard, especially in team meetings, um, to organize uh, and to make sure we're staying on track, but also hearing from everyone equally. So there's a lot of really cool ways to do this. Um, one, and I've seen this in, in uh, some companies where in every team meeting, everyone has equal time to share, like period. That's that's the way, it, that's the expectation. Everybody knows. And so people prepare. So it could be, you know, What's one good thing? Maybe what's one concern? So already we're inviting people to talk about concerns because that's the the other thing is um, people sometimes only want to bring in good news because that's part of belonging. We want to feel you know that we're contributing positively, but we also want to carve the space out to to share concerns because we want to get ahead of those as well. Um, so it could be yeah taking literally equal turns in a in a conversation. There's also this thing called silent brainstorming that's um, getting really popular, which I really really love. Um, whereas, um, instead of group brainstorming, which by the way, research shows group brainstorming is ineffective because it's just one person shares an idea and everybody kind of talks about that one idea and we kind of miss everybody's train of thoughts. Um, so silent brainstorming, you have a question or a prompt, you give everybody maybe five minutes of, of silent brainstorming on their own, like cameras off, uh, mics off, um, which is great by the way, for introverts, um, and people who maybe are less likely to, to talk, um, um, off the cuff in a meeting. And then after the five minutes, and then everybody goes around and kind of shares their ideas. And then as a manager, you kind of take note and, and um, you know, have, have uh, you know, action points based on that. So there's kind of like cool ways. And I think that takes the pressure off of you as a manager, right? If you want to hear the, the, I think your role as a manager is not to have all the answers. Um, your role as a manager is to tap into everyone's genius and create an environment where everybody's able to shine and bring their best foot forward. Um, so it, and it has to be intentional uh, again. And I think I hear this from a lot of managers who are like, well, I hired them for a reason. I don't need to do all this sort of extra work to, sh to share, show that like, I appreciate them and they belong, but it, it's truly not a given. So we really want to hear from, from other people. And then now I have to add another thing. If somebody does share an idea that you as a manager are like, no, that's bonkers. Like, I, there's no way that's going to work. Don't shut them down because you could be wrong. Uh, information is moving so rapidly. They could actually have uh, information or an idea that you didn't think of. So whenever we shut down an idea, and I know sometimes we have a short fuse or we're feeling stressed out that day and we're just like, no, that's not going to work. Let's move on. Um, don't do that, right? Even if you don't think it's going to work, be curious and ask them what their thought process is around with them and allow them to experiment, allow them to, if it fails, let them, let it fail because it's actually a good thing if it fails. Cause now you're, you're getting closer to the solution. You got to roll out something. And so, um, um, you know, be open to people to experiment and you're, you might not always be right. So if somebody is bringing up something that you don't agree with, um, still, uh, allow them to, to, to go forward with that. Okay. So one of the things, and I love the idea of, in the hearing from everyone, like to assign equal tasks, even if, cause you were saying the one good thing, one bad thing. And so, you know, I'm going through my past teammates, you know, to see how one person would have responded to that. The other, um, the other thing I was thinking is also like in the Senate hearings, right? Each person has a specific amount of time, like 
you have ten, five minutes to speak. And after that, you're done because you, you can always get that one person whose one good thing lasts 45 minutes. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think that's interesting. And it feeds into one thing that I'm really noting, which is aside from being um, listened to, heard, so part of belonging is being heard, is a sense of equality, that there needs to be sort of a common playing ground against which, or or at least um, equal opportunity yes. to, to express. You may not, you know, yours may not be the thing that, that wins or whatever that gets taken forward, but you had the opportunity to um, to express yourself and be heard without being dismissed. And that already in and of itself creates a sense of, okay, psychological safety, which is ultimately yes. what the I'm assuming where the belonging ladders up to mm-hmm. is that you feel psychologically safe to express yourself, to fail even, yes. um, and to be yourself. Now, I want to come back to this is my provocative question from before. (laughs) So now there is be yourself and there is be yourself, right? Obviously, we have our demographic things um, that come off in, you know, even in terms of introduction, like names, pronouns, ethnicities, uh, sexual orientation, etc, etc. So that's like one set of who you are. But then there's also, you know, there's like, a lot more, right? Um, how much of ourselves is it? Because, you know, some people are, can are, maybe are more extra. Some people are a little less extra. Some people, you know, some people are introverts. Um, h- how much of ourselves is it appropriate to bring in the workplace? Because it is still, and I think this is the thing we need to remember, it's still a place of work, right? We're not mm-hmm. talking about becoming best friends. It's still a professional environment. We have goals and objectives to get done. Um, and of course, we want to be treated properly while we're there. But are we trying to create a family? Or so how, how does that relationship go? That's right. I mean, that's a good question. I wouldn't want anybody to to dampen who they are. If, if and I think this is another thing we're, we're just bring, talking about culture. I think a lot of people get labeled as being too much, um, who are from a very specific culture. Um, and I'm not sure if that's helpful. And if someone's introverted, for example, I, I, I do believe that they should be allowed to be introverted. I do think that they should be allowed to, uh, you know, take quiet time alone so that they could ponder ideas and come back as a group. So it is a good question. Is it, It's almost like philosophical. Is it possible to create a work environment where everybody can truly just be fully their authentic selves? And, and in that, um, are people going to, how is that going to impact the relationship, right? Because at the end of the day, we're at a company and we have, have a job to do. I almost feel I, like if you're not, yeah. Go I'll, give you, I'll give you a dumb example, yes. right? Let's yeah, yeah. say I like... I live for death metal. And so part of my creative process is to listen to death metal as loud as I possibly can, which you can hear through my headphones while I'm at work. Now, do I have a right to be my full self or am I being intrusive? Because obviously other people, it bothers other people. Where, where's the the line? Yeah. I mean, yeah, ultimately it's a, it's a group of people and it's a, if, if we want cohesion, 
we don't want to disturb other people. So we want to like limit that as much as possible. Gosh, it's such a good question because I (laughs) do think they should be allowed to be listening to the music that like helps promote their best working environment. But if that is disturbing, I mean, maybe there's a, there has to be a third solution, which is, you know, maybe go to like a more quiet part of the office where there's not a lot of people or like now they have those, like a lot of companies have those booths of one where you could just shut the door and kind of, uh, you know, listen to your headphones. So I do think there is a way that we can, I like to be a little bit optimistic about it. And I like to think that it is possible um, where people could could do that as much as possible. But I do think it does take that level of, of communication skill because what I could see happening is that person listening to their have their their you say death metal or heavy metal? Death metal. I wonder. They're listening to, yeah, they're going <laughs> horde. And the people around them are like rolling their eyes and not saying anything. And I think that's a lot of times what ends up happening. Um, and then we'll do the labeling thing again where that person's a jerk and inconsiderate or a weirdo or whatever. And so I think they're if we want to actually um, embrace this idea where everybody's uh, it's are, are free to to be their authentic selves, then I think with that we need to to bring in the skills of communication. We need to bring in the skills of um, um, of not labeling of of self of accepting yourself and accepting other people. Because I think without those other things, I could see it kind of going a little bit south. Um, yeah. So those are my. For sure. But I I read, so I love animals. Dog barking activates something in my brain that that makes me crazy. And I have to like get away from the dog. I mean, they're beautiful while they sleep. I have a cat who I live for. But if a dog barks, it makes me insane. And so I've been looking at these places that have, you know, bring your dog to work. And so this is a place that I could never work at. Um, and so you know, is that discriminatory? Mm-hmm. And especially if that person, let's say, has a disability where they are bringing their maybe emotional support animal to work right. is a um, accommodation. Well, that's an interesting question, right? Because then we are, if we're, if somebody being their authentic self is actually um, in negatively impacting somebody else. Yeah, I think there is something worth, and I think it's worth mentioning. I don't think it's just sort of all or nothing. I do think there has to be this sort of like third solution that every situation kind of could fall back on. Um, but again, I think it does take a level of um, bringing that up again, not sort of silently being like, that dog is driving me crazy and now I have to leave or work early and now I'm resentful and because right. we could go down that route. Yeah. Because that's what ends. And, and this will bring me to the, my next question, which is what's the, like when there is no belonging, what is the downside here? And, and it creates, as we said, when people don't feel heard, when they don't feel respected, yes. when they feel actually disrespected because that person is intruding on their space or not, it creates a, a really hostile environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the absence of belonging. Well, it, it could look like a few things. So one could be an environment that is equitable. Um, I'll just sort of one end of the spectrum. It is equitable, but there's no active belonging. So nobody's bringing you in. Everybody's sort of, sort of expected in team meetings just to share at will. And so there isn't that sort of intentional thing carved out. Um, in those spaces, again, if somebody has experience discrimination and, and, um, and not belonging in their past, they might project that. So they might think, uh, like everybody's in their tight groups. Nobody's slacking me. I'm sort of feeling a bit isolated. And now, because maybe I'm, you know, somebody who is different, uh, I'm already feeling alienated. And so that person, um, 
is less likely to, again, to, um, to share, right. They're less likely to feel safe. And so they're going to, um, it's going to impact their, their engagement at work. Of course, it's going to impact their engagement at work. If you're not, if you are truly questioning if you belong there or not, um, cause it could feel again, exclusive, right. We could misinterpret things. So that's sort of like one, one end of the spectrum. There's another end, the, um, um, it's called an authoritarian uh, hierarchy. It's this type of leadership. It's like very antiquated. It's this old school type of leadership where one person's in charge, they're always right. And they get the final say and everybody below them, like under seniors, um, their opinions literally don't matter um, because maybe they, they, they don't have like that, that, um, that role um, um, as a, as a leader. Um, and those, these are extreme examples where people, if somebody makes a mistake, they're ridiculed. Maybe it's maybe similar to that work environment where you don't get a desk and there's a little <laughs> bit of humiliation. Um, you know, how can that work? I think people, again, depends on that person, but I do feel like it, it's going to impact the way that you're motivated and how you show up at work. Um, if you don't feel like your company cares about you, um, or if you don't matter, then why would you bring your best self forward? You know, like it, it would make sense that you would just kind of do the bare minimum to get that paycheck and kind of leave and, and check out. Um, so I think it does impact, um, and the research does show it does impact, um, engagement and it, it impacts motivation. Um, and, um, um, and the way you perceive your workplace as like a, a, a great place to work or not. Yeah. And there's also um, counterproductive work behaviors where you start subconsciously uh, trying to sabotage the work that you're doing where it's like, all right, you know what? I could make that phone call, which would resolve this problem, but I'm not going to because nobody's. Yeah. Passive aggression, which stems from feeling powerless, right? So if you don't feel like you have any, no one's taking you seriously, you don't have any power, any, any say your ideas get shut down. Then yeah, there is a way that subconsciously we'll do this thing where we're going to like try to, um, you know, make, make ripples where we can. And sometimes it will be negative behavior. If that's a way that we could feel a sense of control or power, um, in, in the workplace. Absolutely. Um, okay. So I think we've kind of done this, but what are your top actionable tips that people can put into place in their own lives? And I would say, let's do one as like a, some tips for the employee and then some tips for managers, even though I feel like a couple we've already done. Mm-hmm. So for leaders, I'd say one of the biggest actionable um, tips would be kind of a mind sh- mindset shift, um, which is thinking about your employees uh, as, a, as a leader themselves and thinking that everybody has something to share kind of without uh, um, exclusion, right? Everybody has something important. Um, and so it's your job to tap into that um, and, and create those environments. So I think that's like a really big one, because especially, and, and I've had experience of being a manager thinking that I had to always have the answers and that um, is a lot of pressure and it's just not realistic either. And so you definitely want to, your, your team got hired for a reason. So you definitely want to um, tap into everybody. So I think that mindset shift is a really big one. Um, and when you think of everybody as their, as a, as a leader, um, I think then you kind of entrust in them, then they trust themselves and then they're able to kind of show up, um, and bring their creative selves or innovative selves and their authentic selves. So I would say that would be a big one for managers. And of course we talked about sort of carving out literal space and time in meetings, um, make it look like Senate or Congress, like, uh, your time is up. <laughs> 
Um, I've actually seen, I've seen a manager do that, by the way, like he literally had a timer because there was one person in the group in particular who could just tangent uh, forever. And it was just got so disruptive. Uh, but we appreciate that person, right? Because that's who they are too. So having a timer was this sort of like creative solution. It tend to work. I love a timer also, because if you know, you only have, because I'm a talker. And so if I knew I only had five minutes, I would really call my thinking to yes. make sure that I said what I wanted to say. Yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. And it works. It could work for everyone. I like that. Um, um, cause then it, you get to pace yourself and then maybe just sort of highlight the most important things so they don't get lost. Um, and for employees, I mean, I guess it depends on who you are. I would say as much as possible. Um, you know what? I'm going to say this because the number one way we could uh, mitigate unconscious bias is to like, literally get to know somebody who's different from us. It sounds very simple, but it's um, because it is our human nature to gravitate towards people who we have shared identities because we get that sense of comfort and safety automatically. Um, we tend to um, not not know people who are different from us, and that really stunts our growth. It stunts our um, capacity to empathize. It stunts our capacity to like be. Um, competent towards other people and other cultures. And so I would say that would be my number one thing for all employees is to get to know somebody who's different from you. You will always learn something. Um, and the saying goes, what we don't know, we fear. And so that's a, just a really good way to sort of add information into your, your um, database because a lot of the unconscious bias um, comes from these, it's called category activation. Again, it's a social science psychology term is um, especially when we are like rushed, we tend to fall back on these preconceived notions that were built to us from us, from our, what we heard in our, in our, up in our uh, home growing up, what we see on the TV, what we heard um, culturally. And so um, um, that's not, it, that could be fine if we just expand our, our, um, our category. So the more we get to know different people and that, and that could be in the workplace. So make an effort to get to know someone different, um, social media, if you're on social media, I think that's such, again, like a low lift, high impact way to like follow people from different parts of the world, just being curious, right. Just, just see how people live, get a better understanding. And that way you have a, um, again, ex expanding your understanding of, of people, then you're less likely to fall back on these, um, unconscious biases, uh, that we, we do sometimes. Yeah, it's funny. I did a um I did a presentation for a company about cultural diversity because uh, they're big international and and we sort of looked at it from a scientific point of view and how and why stereotypes exist and yes. that they actually do exist because of a survival instinct that we have inherited from ancestors um but that can can be broken and it comes, it's broken through contact. And yes. one of the things that we were looking at was um, toilets. And uh, this was quite funny because it, it was like a huge presentation, very formal situation. I had like 10 different toilets, right? <laughs> and I was like, if I took this idea to say like, you grew up with this looking like a toilet, they grew up with this looking like a toilet, and they grew up with this looking like a toilet. All three of you have completely different images ingrained in your head. So when you talk about it, there's going to be different mm. things. So, yes. um, and so- to me, the the cultural curiosity is really the one of the first steps to helping uh, unlock that um, that sense of belonging because we ultimately find that um, we have more in common than we don't. Exactly. 
It's, exactly. It's exactly. just the package that our needs and values are wrapped up in looks different. So like the clothes are different, but the the inside is the same. And so once you peel away the layers, um, that becomes apparent. Yes, 100%. I can't overstate that enough. And I think as a therapist, because I've worked with so many different populations, I could fully like say that with confidence that we truly just want the same things in life, right? We want uh, we want health, we want wellness, we want happiness, we want love. Our kids it's, to it's, be six, happy and healthy. Every and I love the way you say it, it's just packaged a little differently. And the, I think the unfortunate part is when we see a different package presented to us, we have this tendency to to criticize or judge when it's different than us. And I don't know where that comes from. And I wonder if there is some. I'm sure there's data based on that. Well, that's. I mean, the heuristics are simple condition, and the, the irony, and this was part of the presentation that I did is the irony is that your heuristics and your judgments and your pre-existing prejudice exists to allow you to belong to the community within which you were born. Because mm. obviously if you, if your family of origin or your culture of origin, you were different then you were removed, right? Mm. So that's why you accept what you're you're raised with. And then as you get older and the brain is fully processed, you start to be like, do, do I do, you know, yeah. some of us question, some of us don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the things that I find is really fundamental also to opening this conversation is first being accepting of the fact that every single one of us has stereotypes and we didn't necessarily do it on purpose, but they exist. Yes. And we can't have a conversation at all until we're willing to admit that, yes, that exists. I'm going to actively tell my brain that maybe what I think I know is not hundred percent accurate and go look for a a more accurate answer. Yes, exactly. I like that, that you said that. And we will never reach a zero point where we're never not like right. racist or making biases. Or um, I heard somebody use the um, like the standard deviation curve in statistics, where like we'll never like the more we educate and like get to know other people, yeah, like our instances of like offending or mis or like, judging people gets de- will never never hit zero. Yeah. And I think we can flatten it. That. <laughs> yes, but we can flatten it, right? Because there are actual tools and techniques. Um, but, and I like that again, I feel like that's very uniting and and humbling. Like we're kind of all in this together. And that's, I mean, I think that that's the first point is that just as, you know, someone's judging me and I'm judging them. It's that we both come with this brain that operates in a way that we have absolutely no idea about. We don't even know why we do the things that we do. And that this, these judgments that exist, these snap judgments that exist were there. So you would feel comfortable within your family of origin, but they are not necessarily the universal truth. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mona. So tell, um, tell everybody where they can find you. Um, your work links, your social links, whatever you'd like to to share on how they can learn more about you and, and your work. Perfect. Yeah, I'll share a few things. So my personal website is monalmft.com and that stands for Licensed Marriage Family Therapist. Um, I'm also at monalmft on Instagram. And then, um, uh, yeah, so I'm an advisor for the Rise Journey. So you could uh, just Google the Rise Journey. And I wish I knew, I'm sure the website is therisejourney.com, but I'm 95% sure. So maybe just Google the Rise Journey and, and check out their work because uh, we're doing some some really great, uh, great stuff. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here with me. This was an amazing conversation. Yeah, um, likewise. I had a lot of fun. And hope we can talk again soon. Yeah, same. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Moodily Matters. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort. And we'll catch you in the next episode of Moodily Matters.